the Continentals can take the lead. Can it go more with a crossover? Lays it up and in. The Hamilton, the first lead of the game, and this place is deafening. There's a rebound, and it'll go. And the Hamilton Continentals win. Welcome to the 50 Years of Hamilton College Basketball Podcast, Episode 9, Eric Benvenuti, Class of 2013. Eric shares his experience on College Hill, undergoing a coaching change, moving from the Liberty League back to full-time competition in the NESCAC, and having an in-depth, up-close, personal view of Linsanity. Here we go. Eric, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. It's great to see you and looking forward to hearing about your time on College Hill. So thanks for coming. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. You know, we've we're getting pretty deep into our podcast series here. And most of our guests, I've kind of asked the same question. And that comes down to before you even came to Hamilton, what was your process like? What was recruiting? Who did you talk to? How did you figure out that this tiny place in Clinton, New York was going to be the right fit for you? Wow. I'm going to have to rack the memory for this entire podcast. This is going to be fun. <laughs> um, so how did I get recruited? So I went to a very small prep school in Concord, Mass, that had about 200 kids and none of them were athletes. And I just liked basketball and that's all I really did. So my sophomore year, uh, quickly realizing that I was not going to have any coach show up in the gym of Concord Academy, I started to go to the kind of AAU tour, summer camp tour, and started to try to get feelers out there. And the first summer when I was a sophomore, I quickly realized how bad I was at basketball and how much room for development there was. Because <laughs> I went from being a six foot tall, you know, crappy athlete to having to play against some real athletes, um, which did not exist in the leagues that I was playing in. So we um, did that, learned a lot, really tried to just hone my skill my entire junior year and like was in the gym for four or five, six hours a day, just shooting, dribbling, post moves, whatever I could do to become much more of a rounded athlete. And then my junior summer did the whole circuit and got noticed after a few kind of big showcase camps where I kind of put up, you know, big scoring numbers. But what was most funny to me is people were more interested in like people setting proper screens and like flares and playing defense, which, you know, as a younger kid, you're like points are the only things that matter. But I got commented on because my footwork on a drop step was perfect. So like that was like the commentary I was getting from coaches. So I started getting recruited from all the NESCACs, um, a few Ivies, and then ultimately it came down for me to coach and then education right like you're a d3 athlete you're not going to go pro i knew pretty quickly as a marginal shooting guard i my career was going to end with this so where did i feel like i was going to get the most out of the school where did i feel like i was going to get the most out of the program and for me it came down to middlebury and hamilton um and at the time jeff brown was the coach at middlebury i think he's an unbelievable guy um and tobin anderson was a, the coach at hamilton was also great but I did not want to live in the middle of nowhere in Vermont. I wanted to live in the middle of nowhere in New York. So I went to New York. It was close to the city. And I thought for me, after college, Middlebury was much more language oriented. Hamilton was a little bit more finance oriented. And I thought I was going to go down the finance path. So it was a better fit uh, longer term from a career perspective. And I'm very happy with the choice that I made. Great. Where do you live now? Live in Woodstock, Vermont. I <laughs> So could resist that. Could resist yeah. that, Eric. <laughs> so now, as you were kind of making that decision and, and choosing between Middlebury and Hamilton, did you do a campus visit? Did you hang out with some of the guys on the team? What did that look like for you during your time? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did about eight total campus visits. I think it's 
on it's by far the most important part of the process. Just be authentic to yourself. Try to meet as many people as you can ask questions, listen, soak it up. Um, and the guys on the team in Hamilton, like really took care of me, took me around, um, showed me what the social scene was like. The same happened to Middlebury, the same happened to Williams. Um, sitting in on a class, it does seem to differ school by school, at least when I went. So for me, the Hamilton kind of more liberal arts focus, more Socratic where it's more conversational rather than lecturing was appealing to me as well. And then the smaller classrooms um, were important. I think the other thing, which for me, this is more of a personal item, but I was not a great writer. I was dyslexic going into college and I knew like that was had to be one of my bigger weaknesses and I had to strengthen it before getting a job and trying to advance in the real world. So having a writing center where you can go and have your papers edited and really get that support network existed in Hamilton. Um, and that just made it kind of that much easier to make the decision. Well, as you know, now as a graduate, uh, writing and communicating are unbelievably important tenets of the Hamilton College education. So you're going to get to write a ton and you got to just figure out how to be good at it. And most are. And it sounds like you had the same experience. Yep. And that doesn't mean you don't get to do your strengths, too. You just got to, right. you know, know where those weaknesses lie and try to get a little bit better of them and then sharpen your strengths as well. Great. So now as you, you get here in the fall of your freshman year, and I'm sure there's some open gyms and some pickup and workouts going on based on your experience coming from a small school that didn't sound like there were very many athletes there, this must have, must have been a big jump for you. And was that the same feeling that you had? Oh, holy cow, what am I doing here? And how am I going to compete? And what'd that look like for you in the fall? Yeah, uh, for me, I was scared out of my mind in the <laughs> summer. So I was in amazing shape. I think I probably benched the most I ever benched my freshman year of college. And then it went down from there, which is not a testament to the strength and conditioning. I think it was more of a just doing creatine and trying to make sure I was in shape physically to compete at a different level. Um, but I think the the biggest difference for me wasn't actually the strength or the running or the fitness. It was the speed of the game. And then the IQ is a different level where you need to be in certain positions at a faster rate. And it's not all about having a ball in your hand and dribbling it and taking a fadeaway shot that you make 42% of the time. It's about executing this play and hitting a flare screen to make sure that your teammate opens up on the wing appropriately. Um, and then defensively, you need to bring your game to a whole new level. You're not going to get away with scoring 25 points a game and letting up 25 points a game, right? There is two sides of the ball and realizing that at a faster rate where eventually my role didn't become I was a scorer in high school you quickly realize you're not going to be the best scorer in college like maybe one or two people listening to this will be because there is one or two on every team but ultimately you're going to learn to be a role player and you're going to learn what you can do to get you know a plus six differential when you're out and you know make an impact and for me it was never scoring I think you'll be the first to admit for me it was like defensive hustle getting on people and communicating and getting people in the right place at the right time and when you kind of realize your role and how you can just push other people to be better. Um, that's when you really start to click and you really start to see playing time. I figured it wouldn't take you long knowing you as I do to drop in a stat or some sort of efficiency rating here at some point. So I'm glad we got that out of the way early. That's quick. So now you, as an underclassman, uh, those were the last two years that Hamilton was a full participant in the Liberty League. Yep. So who were some of the big rivals for you in the league? And who were some of the best opponents? What games stood out for you playing in the Liberty League for those last two seasons? Uh, 
So Clarkson, RPI, they had some dog fights with Hobart. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, I wasn't playing a lot. I was pretty frustrated with that. And I think that also was a really big learning lesson where you need to learn to differentiate yourself from your team. And when I wasn't playing a lot, I, I mean, I was younger, I got pretty emotional and pretty fiery. But what I didn't do was let my teammates down because I knew my time wasn't in the games, right? Your time is to contribute in practice. So I brought it every single practice. You might be talking to this gentleman named Patrick Sullivan. He was probably the best player on my team over the four year career of mine. Me and him would get in a fight every single practice. And that was my <laughs> job to drive them insane and drive them nuts on defense and push them to be better and work with them after practice on stuff. So you quickly realize like, you're in this for your friends who are your teammates and you, you do learn to bury that even if you do have a personal problem with the coach or, you know, a, a playing situation, like your time will come, put in the time, put in the effort and, um, you know, focus on what you can control. Yeah. You mentioned Pat Sullivan. He's certainly one of the best players ever here and a lot of all league awards, both in the Liberty league and the NESCAC, you know, what, what was his game like? If you got the scouting report on him, you know, maybe just share that a little bit being with him for three to three years where you were a year behind him. So you got to battle him day in, day out for probably 180, 200 practices over the course of those three years, I'm guessing. That was fun. I mean, he had really sharp elbows. So you always knew you were going to catch one of those, you know, naturally. He's just that guy who will break you down methodically in the post. He took his time. Um, he's really good from the elbow and in where if he had you one, on one, he had 30 to 40 moves that he could do with. And a lot of that was it's probably 230 pounds in college. So he can just muscle through you. He can go over you. He can go around you. And I know he played abroad in Ireland, Scotland. Ireland. Ireland. Yep. Yeah. And then he actually learned to jump. So he got really good. Um, he was more grounded. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's just having that and then combining that with a three-point shot. And he worked really well within the offense that we were we were running. And a lot of that was around him. And, you know, he worked well in a pick and pop. He pick, worked well in a pick and roll. And he really worked on those skills. So not only did he work well in an ISO situation, but he could work well within an offense. But yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can find a teammate like him where, you know, they're better than you, they have a year or two on you and just watch their game and defend them and try to pick up some things from them so you can implement it when you're, you know, subbing them out for the four minutes that he needs a break. It makes a big difference. And then eventually when they leave, like you're going to fill those shoes and you're going to have to try to do more of that. Yep. Yeah. Well, Pat certainly could do that. I mean, he, he did everything on the court, you know, shot it, scored off the bounce, scored in the post, could wheel and deal, could drive and kick, could hit a pull up, you know, great rebounder, could rotate and block a shot, you know, and obviously that's why he's all league and such a great player here. He can just do a little bit of everything and really, really versatile with good length too and good athleticism. I think I think you probably undersold his athleticism a little bit, but he's a pretty good athlete when he's here. Certainly got better in Ireland, but he was pretty darn good athlete here too when he played. He was. He was. So now as, as a player, you know, having half your career in the Liberty League and then half the NESCAC, what was that change like? What did you see as an outsider, the two differences in the league? Obviously, you had a little experience understanding the NESCAC, being from New England and getting recruited by Middlebury Williams and some of the other NESCACs, but actually playing in the conference. What did you no first notice? Yeah, everyone's just better. I mean, they're just, it's just more talent, and it's not a shot at the Liberty League at all. Um, I think it's just more of – 
there it's a longer established program and if you just look every year now that i i'm quote unquote retired i think that's a pretty bold word never don't play anymore i just look at the stats of like the rankings every once in a while and you just consistently see like three four five of the top 25 teams in the u.s and d3 are in the nescac and the reality is it probably could be eight nine ten eleven but they're all battling each other so someone's got to lose um but you just see in my opinion every d3 nescac school has two to three d1 athletes on those teams and it's just a matter of how developed they are and wasn't there the kid at Williams for a year who went, he's now in the NBA. Um, so like, yeah, Duncan Robinson, one of the yeah. fastest players in NBA history, I think to 500 threes or something like that. I saw the other day, but yeah, he was a, a freshman at Williams for a year. Yeah. So like, that's the type of talent that will come in and out of D3 schools. And usually it's just, you're, you're recruiting the athletes. And by the way, the athletes now at D3 are 10 times better than when I was playing. Like, go watch you guys warm up and everyone's throwing down windmill dunks. I think back in the day, we were like happy making layups. Um, <laughs> but it's just like a different, it's just a different level of athlete, a different level of mindset. And you're just developing that slightly undersized, slightly slow. Like there's usually one or two aspects of their game that's missing, but they most of the time will develop into having the talent of, you know, a low D1 level athlete. Um, and that's what makes it fun. Like you have really good athletes competing every single weekend. Um, and, you know, you have five days to figure out your strategy to go to war. And then you get two, two games back to back and you got to have a short memory because of it. But I think that was the other big change too, was we played Friday, Saturday in the NESCAC, right? It wasn't, I think the Liberty League was, it was more often like midweek and then later in the week. So there's that a little adjustment too. Or my memories yeah. are horrible when we did both on the weekends, but yeah. <laughs> you had uh, your two years being the first two years in the NESCAC. Hamilton at that time was considered the standalone team. So the NESCAC has yep. 11 teams. We were standalone, meaning we didn't have a travel partner. Yep. So we had a little bit of a unique schedule for those two years where we would play Friday night and then Sunday afternoon where the rest of the league was going Friday, Saturday. So yep. it was a little different. You know, that was something that was different that every – every school in the NESCAC goes through over the course of 22 years, roughly. Um, so that was a little bit different dynamic for sure. Just preparing Friday, Sunday, because you didn't have that Sunday day that you normally have to just kind of recover, get your classwork done, prepare for the week. It was a little more intense, a little busier. Is that what yeah. you felt as a student as well? There was a little more chaotic on the weekends. Yeah. Um, it was really tough to plan the schoolwork because you didn't really use Saturday. I didn't ever do work on Saturdays. So that was always the day off that I wanted to take. And then if you have a game Sunday, you're, you know, prepping for that on Saturday and then you have Monday off and then you're jamming all your schoolwork into Monday night. So I think it's just to your point, I was trying to like avoid the, I don't know what, what schedule is on. So I was trying to be accurate to the times, but yeah, I remember it was Friday, Sunday. And I, I liked it personally because it kind of, it lets you get back into the war of like, you're going to make mistakes on Friday night. There's going to be things that go well. They're going to be things that go poorly you kind of get 24 hours or we had 24 hours to figure it out. So if I want two for 11 from three, I'm going to go and shoot 600 threes. If I, you know, am injured from what X, Y, or Z, like I'm going to go get treatment on that rather than just jumping into it the next day. Um, but yeah, balancing, balancing schoolwork is the other half of the equation, right? Like you, you're a student first and an athlete second, but that doesn't mean you don't give as much effort to both. So you need to, you know, make your plan around when you work the most efficiently and how you work the most efficiently and and just attack both that way. 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what you get in the NESCAC. You get a lot of outstanding student athletes. They love their athletics. They want to compete and be the best athlete they can, but they're serious students as well. And, and that's why it's so attractive to so many students out there. Yeah. As a coach, though, doing Friday, Sunday, from a preparation perspective, that was pretty fun because we had a chance to really break down that Sunday opponent on Saturday and kind of get a feel for what they're going to do, go through a scout, especially when you're on the road. You know, you leave on Friday, you play Friday night, you've done all your scout work, you get to the hotel, you've got all day Saturday to worry about this Sunday opponent, then come back. So from a coaching preparation, it was kind of neat to have that extra day. From a student perspective, I can see where that was challenging and daunting. It just gobbled up a lot of time on the weekend, and, and that's why that's not the common path that teams use at division three yeah so now your ju junior year uh one of the neat things that happened is you had a freshman on the team named joe lynn and joseph you know very quick yeah. lefty guard ended up being all league later in his career really fast high iq worked incredibly hard on his game and craft and, and one of the most committed players i've seen he's also the brother of jeremy lynn and during that season that was when lynn sanity hit the world so yeah. I know you were pretty close with Joe and, you know, I think we were on the road maybe at, at Trinity, I want to say, or Amherst Trinity weekend, if I remember right. And that was the weekend where Jeremy just started to hit game winners and started to have a great time. And all of a sudden he's all over sports center and ESPN and everywhere. What was that like being a teammate and then kind of seeing Joe go through insanity with his brother playing so well? It was really cool. Um, the craziest part about that is that was the winter of the lockout. Right. Where I, I remember, I think it was December, they were still locked out and we were up over winter vacation. Jeremy Lynn comes in, professional basketball player, like it's pretty cool, but he's not, you know, six two, big guy, good skill set, like nothing flashy. He's not like going insane. So he's like shooting around with us a couple times. He'd go out to dinner with us a few times. Like I went with him and his brother to dinner. We played video games together, like typical college stuff. And then a month and a half, two months later, he's blowing up SportsCenter. Everyone wants to talk about him. Like the news is coming to Hamilton games when he's coming to watch his brother play, which was normal three months before when they're like off doing nothing. So it was just, it was a really cool moment to see two people that are so humble and just like, you know, focus on their skills and their life and, you know, being great sons to their parents and being I know they're both um you know Catholics or students of God and like they really kept that throughout the entire run but from like a you know practicality standpoint you go away on a weekend this guy's brother's lighting up the scoreboard on Sports Center. we like play a game I know we all like piled back into like watch Joe's laptop where he had NBA all access <laughs> watching brother and um, and it accumulates with like us yelling in a hotel room at like whatever 11 at night gets hit on that. So that was just like a ton of fun where it became, there were two levels to it. It's like we would go and we play our game and then usually we could catch the end of whatever NBA game was going on. Um, and it was just an amazing team bonding experience where everyone got behind it. Everyone was happy for Joe and his brother and his family. And um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that Jeremy had come up and was working out. And then, he, you know, he's working out in the alumni gym a little bit yeah. before it got renovated. And then he was also in the back of the field house on the tennis courts where we had the portable hoop set up. He was, here's an NBA, here's a guy trying to make an NBA roster and have an impact, just working out, working hard on this tartan surface that's really for tennis and track. Yep. Uh, I'd forgotten about that. I do remember that, that senior day that year, Jeremy and his parents came and we knew he was coming. It was the height of insanity. Might have been all-star break for them, maybe. Yeah. So he had a couple of days off. And all of a sudden, we've got this huge section in the bleachers 
roped off for the lens to try to keep the fans and the spectators away. And all of a sudden you see a couple of people trying to get autographs and pictures with him. And yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. And I thought, you know, Joe's a, a, at that time, a relatively quiet young man. And I thought he handled it great, you know, very humble for sure. Um, it was tough because I know sometimes on the road, he would get a little extra yeah. flack by being Jeremy's brother and to be a lot more signs. And he was someone that was easy for them to pick on just because of his brother. But Overall, what a neat experience to see as a teammate and just be involved in it firsthand. Absolutely. And it's it's also, I mean, Joe Joe handled it as well as you could from an emotional standpoint, too, where your brother is the biggest fan person in the world, right? Like <laughs> you can take that so many different ways. You can be bad, you can be upset, but just the way he approached it being humble and it was like a learning opportunity to my brother's a top NBA player. I can learn and really improve my game from just going home over the summer and working out and not like <laughs> listening to the feedback that he gets from these top trainers like my workout over the summer was running around a cul-de-sac and like shooting hoops <laughs> in the yard right like his was going into some of the gyms practicing and training with the top nba players so i remember between his junior and senior year he came back just levels and layers improved and then you saw that after i left where it just kept getting more and more so he didn't he didn't waste that opportunity that he got and I think he's, I don't know if he's still playing overseas, but I know he's playing overseas for a while. So just that ability to capture the best upside that you can ever be. I think he really took that and embraced that and, and went for it. To Spencer, talking about Joe, what kind of player was Joe? He ended up being all league as a senior, which was a great, great honor, um, especially because he missed a bunch of games with injury down the stretch. He, he had a great, great season running the point for us at that time. And we were running kind of the traditional Hamilton break for some of the guys who played in the eighties and nineties, we were, were doing the pin downs and guys were coming off and Joe was the point man handling it. And I remember one weekend over the course of a weekend at home, I think it was Amherst Trinity possibly. I think over the two days he had 39, 40 points over two games and then 20, 22 assists. So he basically averaged 20 and 10 that weekend. So, you know, what was your evaluation of Joe as a player? What, what did he do? Great. What was he good at? You know, how'd he play? Yeah, he, it was funny. So the, that one week where Jeremy and Joe were in the gym together and during that all-star break or the lockout, together, Joe was as talented as Jeremy, like from a skill perspective. He had the handle, he had the jump shot. For me, what was always amazing was how quickly he could turn on a dime and get a shot off. He would come off a screen and just fire it before you can hedge it, before you can come over it. And I mean, you can extrapolate that off the dribble, off of like a crossover, he'd come off and and really, you know, pull up a shot or make some ridiculous finish. But um, his skill set was always that of just a traditional guard. And he, when I was there, I didn't get to, you know, play with him as much. But it seems like he developed into that pass-first type of guard, too, where he really just took the game as a came. where if there was a shot in front of him, he'd take it. If there was a pass in front of him, he'd pass it. But when, when I was there with him, he was still developing that sense because he was a little bit hesitant to take the shot. So it's, like, amazing to hear that he, he grew into that of, being able to decipher the two. And that's, again, a testament to his growth over time and learning the game as a student. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I don't have the stats right in front of me for that year, um, but I'm pretty sure he led the league in assists as a senior, probably six, six and a half, seven, somewhere in there. But Joe worked really hard on a shot, started to make threes consistently. And the best part about him is he worked so hard that he could make all these different shots. He could drive hard and make it, he was a lefty, he could make a lefty off the glass, righty pull-ups, he just, all of that was really great, but he also got a great feel for scoring and passing and, and kind of being that dual threat point guard like you talked about. Yeah. 
uh, were some of the good games or some of the best games, the ones that stand out for you? I know we had a, a great battle with Amherst at home the year they won the national championship. Ended up being a tough two-point loss for us, but it was just a great, great game against arguably the best team in the country. Um, I know we had a good battle with Williams at home, and they were pretty talented as well. Like you mentioned, Duncan Robinson, he was – Second team all league. They had a first team uh, all NESCAC and an all American on that team when they went to the national championship game or the final four, whatever it was. But you know, we had some great, great opponents coming in. Any games that stand out for you that you remember more than others? That Amherst game will haunt me till the day. <laughs> so there's there's backstory there too. So Alan Williamson was their like stud foreman and at Amherst when I was a senior and unbelievable athlete I'm sure he was a first team all-american along with three other people on that team I think it was but he and I were rivals in high school where we would go back and forth of like who won MVP every year so there was like a lot of trash talk and a lot of history there in the last two years they had blown us I don't say blown us out but they got the best of us in a pretty handful way and then that game at home we're up like by 10 with four minutes to go, I think it was, or eight with four minutes to go. And I foul out like an absolute prick and um, really dumb foul for my fifth. And just that will haunt me to the day I die. Didn't need to make a foul, materially impacted the outcome of the game because I was playing pretty well that game as well. But I believe we played Wesleyan later that next day and we, we beat them in a pretty handful fashion as well, which is just kind of proof to like the short memory, like act like a goldfish and, and move on and learn from it. Um, but that Amherst game, that team looked great. That battle was great. It was intense. It was packed full of fans for Hamilton standards because it was one of our, our Friday night games. And um, the losses definitely hurt more than the wins. <laughs> well, just so you know, if you see Allen and all, Allen was scoreless that game and you had 10 points. You were yep. plus 10 over Allen. So you can bring that up if you see him again. Despite them getting the win, you've got the advantage head to head that night. Yeah. Sadly, the win's the one stat that counts. But, um, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> and I feel better now. I thought I was the only one haunted by that game. So I still think no. about that game from time to time. I, I went nuts. The stretch. I went nuts in the locker room after, too. And that's like the interesting thing about that, too, is you can look at you can look at losses as like get down on yourself, but I think there's also an opportunity for leaders on the team to be like, to call some people out and to get after it. And it's, it's all out of love. And like that at the end of the day is what you need to realize is speaking up and speaking your mind pushes your teammates to be better. You got to do it in the right way at the right time. But that was the one game that I lost my cool and like pro bunch of stuff. So, but anyway, we'll take that one back. We'll do it again sometime. And um, was that the lock, locker room post game, Eric? Is that when that was? That, that was one of them. That was the only time. The only time in my entire career I lost it. But that one, that one hurt. Best team in the country. Opportunity to beat them. Opportunity to send them home. Not make them the best team in the country, and then let them let them get away. Well, like you said, it worked because we bounced back two days later, and it was Trinity effect, and we won 66-48. So great recovery. Bounced back. Took a step forward, and like you yeah. always try to do it. In athletics, if you have a tough game, despite the result, whether it's a win or a loss, you still try to be better the next one and keep moving forward. And certainly that worked out. And then a little bit after that, we had a four-game winning streak pushing down the stretch and put ourselves in a good position to try to fight for things at the end of the year. So definitely some growth from there. 
Yeah. You have any any other games or any other players that stand out for you that you'd want to mention here that come to the forefront when you're thinking back to your time on campus? Or any other people in general on campus that were important to you, maybe faculty, staff, other people along those lines? Yeah, I think I think it's during the course of your Hamilton journey, you kind of you're gonna make your few best friends if you play all four years. Like for me, it's Ken Click and On Schulte. Like we hung out all the time. You hanging out with people for 20 plus hours a day living with them playing basketball with them lifting with them eating with them and you just never really get that opportunity again in your life so really just taking advantage of it and embracing you know the ups the downs the fights the good times and the whole and the whole nine but love those two guys um and i don't yeah i'm gonna jump in real quick what year was it i think you three were all in a triple right two of the biggest guys on campus running triple with hans and this didn't seem like to be there. There was a lot of space over there. <laughs> we had 84 square feet, which is less than a 10 by 10 room for a guy who's six, eight, can click. She's probably six, nine. Hans, who is six, I'm going to say six feet to be generous, but you know, 200 plus pounds and myself who's six, six and 84 square feet. And we had three beds lined up next to each other in the room. And then just one little spot for our, um, for our TVs and couches and all that stuff. But yeah, like wouldn't trade that for the world. That's where your best friends are made. Um, was that Eels or Ferg, did you say? That one was Eels. Eels. And then senior year was a quad in Ferguson. Hmm. So we, we upgraded. I think it was like 200 square feet at that time. <laughs> that was like three times the space for one extra person. But yeah, that was, that was the crew that I would always hang out with. And then, you know, Pat Sullivan and, um, some of them older guys too. Um, that it just rotates kind of based on the time that you're there. So as you know, the seniors graduate that you're hanging out with, like I've spent a lot of time with Joe Lynn, spent a lot of got time with a um, gentleman named Matt Hart who transferred to Georgetown, George Washington. George Washington, yep. George Washington. Um, he was a hell of a player too. Um, I think he's gone to have a pretty good career, at George Washington as well. Um, but that was that was a product of no, that it's that drive. Like you have the resources around. If you want to come in here and turn into a D1 athlete, he's the case in point of that, right? Like kind of just listen to your coach, spend time in the gym. They're not going to guide you the wrong way. We're not here to like <laughs> make you worse or beat you down. It's just you have weaknesses in your games. Like you got to get better. And then, you know, he had the career that he had there. And I don't know if he played it overseas, but I think that was always his goal for the coach. So Yeah, so for people that don't know, Matt Hart was here for two years and is a sophomore. I believe he was first-team All-League. And Duncan Robinson, who you referenced earlier, was second-team All-League that year. And they both ended up transferring out. Matt went to George Washington, went on to be a key member as they got into the postseason. I, I believe they might have won the NIT championship when he was there. And, and Duncan's obviously moved on as well, like you referenced before. Uh, it, you know, what type of player was Matt, you know? He's leading the league in scoring. He's got to be doing a few things right out there. So what were some he, of the things that he did well? He was flashy. Here's the other problem. I like to talk a lot of shit. So like, this is like killing me to be like hyping people up, you know, I got <laughs> but he, um, he, he had it all too. He was sure he was like six feet tall, maybe six two. I don't, I don't know, but he could shoot the hell out of the ball fast as hell. And really off the dribble, you needed two guys to pay attention to him to be able to stop him. He could pull up on a dime. He could cut up right across you on a dime. So it was really fun to play with that type of an athlete where basically your job is just you sit in the corner and shot because he's going to get an opening if he doesn't score it himself. Um, and that was 
a ton of fun to not only see that. He was young. He was a freshman. He had a lot of kind of more mental growth to have than actual skill growth. And I think over the course of the next, you know, three, four, five years, he, he grew into that and started to recognize kind of how that's as important as your game as your actual skill set as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think every player comes in with different backgrounds and they have to figure out how can they make the most of the opportunity. And, you know, there's a lot of different avenues for people to take and try to grow and get better. And I think every student athlete goes through that. You know, and the other thing that you you touched upon is Anescak's got some great players that can play Division One and have the capability. And it's just a matter of finding the right fit for the student athletes, whether it's Division One or it's a Hamilton or another Anescak school. It comes down to some certain variables that fit most importantly for you as an individual. But the talent level in the NESCAC is awesome and fantastic. And you know, we've had over the last few years in the league, there's been a couple of years where we've had four or five teams in the NCAA tournament. And typically for a conference, having three teams is very good. So to have four or five is just a whole different level and speaks to that the level of ability and talent that the players bring into the league. How about any other people, maybe not teammates or coaches? How about any other people on campus that really stood out for you during your time? On College Hill. Uh, yeah, Professor Wu was great. He was running the economic department then. I don't know if he still is, um, but he was he was fantastic. He um, really was a mentor throughout the whole process. And I think that's that's the other side of it is finding those few people who will shoot you straight on the academic side because you you do have a, a pretty big burden when you're playing an at when you're playing a sport as well. So there are a lot of professors around who understand you know being a student and an athlete is two jobs. One's a student, one's an athlete. So those those professors who have seen it before, who have coached, who have been mentors to student athletes before, will really push you in the right direction, give you some tips, and um, help you out in times where you know you have a Friday afternoon game. It's going to be tough for you to get an assignment done by Monday. Maybe they'll give you till Tuesday to help you out because they understand you know you can't play two basketball games and write a paper in a weekend. Um, but yeah, I think the he was really instrumental to me. Um, the communication center, the writing center, I was there every single day for four years. Um, so there was a lot of work in that, maybe not every single day, but, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and what was it? And you're not alone in that, right? The writing center, pretty much every student goes there and most yep. of our students end up getting there a lot just because they know how important that writing component is. Absolutely. And then, and then the diner, it was funny, the diner crew, um where like we would be in there for me like you're practicing till nine you go into the diner like that whole group over there was great too um but yeah it's just like every single person on the hill just a great mindset it's so it's so nice it's so kind it's this nice little bubble that you don't realize how amazing it is to have all your friends around within walking and you know this amazing support staff that's there to just try to make you a better person and see you grow over time well, it sounds like it certainly worked for a lot, and hopefully it'll continue to go that way. Well, Eric, this has been great. This has been a lot of fun. Is there anything you want to add here before we sign off today? No, really excited to be on this, and I've been asked to do it, so I really appreciate it. And um, you were a great coach during our time, so I really appreciate all you did for me then, and coming back is fun, too. Well, we'll edit that out, that part right there, but I appreciate you jumping on. It's great to see you. I'm glad things are going so well for you with WeWork, and you know, certainly, as always, if we can ever help out here, don't hesitate to let us know. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doc.